Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. This is Sarah Larby. You are listening to Where Should I Invest? And we have special guests today, Ashley and Spencer. They are Airbnb super hosts, management, you name it. And they also have some really cool new services that they've started offering. But if you are interested in short-term rentals or Airbnb, anything to do with Airbnb pricing, how to optimize it, all that good stuff, this will be the podcast for you. Before we do that, I have a special guest to introduce. It's Allison Wiseman who is here at my cottage. And three minutes before this podcast started, I'm like, hey, why don't you co-host with me? And you're like, sure. And we just got you right into it. And, and you did a great job. Maybe tell us a little bit about who you are. Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, my name's Allison. I've been kind of working with Sarah on and off for the last six to eight months. I was also your personal trainer back in 2016. That's true. Before, before 2016, I don't think I really ever went to the gym. No. I think I was your very first trainer. Yes. But I have to say, she out-trains me now, like weights and the amount of days per month. So I'm proud of you. Thank Good job. You. I appreciate it. You know, I'll tell you the funny story is back in 2016, because I, I was never a gym goer. And I definitely, I feel like I had, I was higher maintenance then than I am today, but I didn't want to sweat because I didn't want to ruin my makeup and my hair. So I made her change exercises every time I thought I got, I was getting a little hot. I'm like, hey, we're not doing this anymore. True story. And then she would also tell me, hey, I'm bored. Let's do something else. But I can't sweat. <laughs> like, okay. I don't no, figure this out. No cardio. <laughs> and I think I only wanted to train arms, which I love arms. And I abs. And abs. I and still abs. love that to this day. <laughs> yeah. And fast forward, I think I work out almost every day now at F45, which is my usual go-to place. And then I started doing some hot, not yoga, but hot fitness. So think of like your hot yoga in a room and it's like a fitness class, which is really cool too. But you know what? I think ultimately from working out, the biggest benefit was actually the mental health, the motivation, the energy, the strength that it actually allows you to have over time. And it's in its consistency. But so thank you for getting me into the gym because you actually got me into it originally. I'm glad we met. And, and yeah, so I guess I'm a real estate agent. I do a lot of different things, but definitely, you know, real estate. And I also have an Airbnb that you'll hear a little bit about on this episode. And I'm just looking forward to getting, you know, new tips and, and tricks and spicing up my Airbnb to attract a certain type of clientele, not necessarily more business. But I definitely want to maximize my income, but, you know, keeping it, you know, safe, clean and being able to go there for my own little getaway and stay at my own little Airbnb as well. Yeah. And you know what's really cool is you put it up in like in a matter of the first two days, how many bookings did you get? I had five bookings. That's awesome. So four in September, one in November. And I, yeah, it was like, it was crazy. I couldn't believe it. So... Real estate. All the stuff we've been talking real, about for many years. Real yeah, estate. So it took me this long to get into real estate, but I have to thank you for that. <laughs> but now you're fully in. Like you're helping, you're helping people buy fine places. You let lots of things in between. You're also a member of Inspire Beach Resorts. Yep. Yep. So I, you know, I I work with a lot of I do a lot of Sarah's like leasing actually. So I'm passionate about helping, you know corporations, working professionals who are traveling. I kind of connect them with, you know, rentals that are appropriate for their needs and goals and a time frame as well. And then, yeah, it's it's buying and selling is good as well. But I mean, it's definitely, you know, the rental market's pretty hot right now. And depending on where things go with the economy, you know, I don't know, like, is it going to get even more competitive? I don't know. Yeah. It, it, who knows what's going to happen? I think the rental market with everybody coming in and the shortages already is going to get better. So and then I also use, yeah, Inspire Beach Resort. You know, I've been able to make some contacts and, and you know, with, you know, corporate clients and give them a gift. And, you know, after looking with me for a few months for rentals, send them up to Inspire Beach Resort for a night. I also I'm not going to lie, I'm a little selfish. I go up there on weekends and enjoy the private beach and network with other people. So 
definitely a big benefit to your resort. Thank you. (laughs) Well, today we are going to be speaking on Airbnbs, short-term rentals with, you know, two of, I think, the best in this country, Ashley and Spencer. But before we do, Dahlia Barsoom with her tip of the week. Dahlia, over to you. Hi. If you currently have a mortgage with an advance of a line of credit component with any of the big banks, such as the Step Mortgage with Scotiabank, the Whole Power Plan with CIBC, the RBC Home Line Plan, BMO's Home Owner Ready Line, or the National Bank All-in-One, then this message is for you. By now, you would have received a letter from your bank outlining upcoming changes to the advanceable mortgage products that will take effect on November the 1st. But before I get into the details of the letter and how this change impacts you, I'd like to go through a quick refresher of what an advanceable mortgage is. Essentially, an advanceable mortgage combines a mortgage with a line of credit, which acts like a home equity line of credit, referred to as a HELOC. And with the banks, a HELOC or line of credit cannot exceed 65% of the value, but between the mortgage and the line of credit, together they can get up to 80% of the home value at the time the loan was approved. This 80% is referred to as the global limit. And as you make payments towards your mortgage, the credit limit on the line would increase in an amount equal to the principal that you're paying down on the mortgage. When you make a mortgage payment, essentially, you uh, basically have two components. It's split into two components. There is principal pay down and there is an interest component. So let's take an example. Let's say that your mortgage payment is $1,000 and out of that $1,000, 700 goes towards paying down your principal and 300 goes towards paying down the interest. Now, the $700 is what I'm referring to here. That is the amount of principal pay down that would increase the limit on the line of credit by an equivalent amount if you have an advisable mortgage product. So you're essentially reaccessing what you've paid down on the mortgage through the line of credit. And this is a great feature that many homeowners and investors alike um, enjoy. Now, 15 months ago, OSFI, the financial services regulator, introduced a new role uh, to basically limit how consumers or borrowers with advanceable mortgages can reborrow any paid down principal. And basically what they want is they want, they don't want um, anybody to re-borrow money above 65% of the value of the property at the time the loan was approved. This change is going to take effect on November the 1st for the big six banks and uh, January the 1st for most other federally regulated lenders. OSFI expects that any and all lending above 65% of the loan-to-value, which cannot exceed 80%, will be both advertising and non-advanceable. That's what the regulator says. Also, the principal payments applied to the portion above the 65% should be matched by a reduction in the overall authorized limit or the global limit limit until that global limit reduces to 65%. Okay, I had to read this 20 times before I understood what this really means. It was easier for me to actually understand Spanish than to understand what this is all about. So let me walk you through what it means through an example. Recently, I received my Scotia step Uh, letter informing me of the change. I'm not going to read it all, but will highlight the key paragraph that says the following. Beginning November 2023, your step global limit will gradually reduce to 65% over the next 25 years. This will take effect through monthly reductions of $157 to your step global limit. Now, let's get into the translation of what that really means. 
Consider a case where a borrower has a million dollars house in a combined global limit uh, of mortgages and line of credits as well. Mortgage component number one is at $150,000. Mortgage component number two is at $250,000. And uh, the client has a $400,000 rebuilding line of credit. So altogether, we're at 80%. The rule essentially says the following. And here's the key concept. The key concept is that the principal payments applied to any portion above 65% should be matched by a reduction in the overall global limit until this overall limit shrinks to 65%. In this example, mortgage number two of $250,000 along with the line of credit of $400,000 make up 65% of the value of the house, which is a million dollars. So any dollars you pay down on mortgage component number one, which is the portion representing more than the 65%, under the old rules, it used to advance over to the line, but under the new rules will no longer advance over to the line and instead that will gradually shrink your borrowing ability from recycling within that 80% box to eventually, you know, getting to a 65% over time. So that's the idea here. They're trying to limit how much money you can recycle within that 80% so that gradually over time, that amount shrinks to 65% is what this really says. In the Scotia example that I shared with you earlier, the $157 that I read in the letter is basically that gradual monthly reduction in the global limit. It is not something that I'm going to pay out uh, for uh, you know, myself. Instead, as I pay down the mortgage, Instead of being able to re-access that 157 on the line of credit, it will now go towards shrinking the overall global limit from 80% to 65%. So here's the thing. This amount will differ from one client to another. It will differ from one bank to another. But ultimately, the end game is the same for everybody who has this product. Borrowers will end up with readvisable mortgages that have a global limit that cannot exceed 65% over time. And if they're starting at 80% over time, that number will go down to 65%. And the difference is that some lenders will get you there uh, more, you know, uh, like faster than some other lenders. So if you're readvanceable mortgage, if you got an advanceable mortgage before September 15th, 2012, that's when this B20 regulation took effect, that product will be grandfathered. You don't have to write. So none of what I'm talking about here applies to you. But everyone uh, who set up their product past that deadline will be impacted. So if you decide to refinance today, and you qualify for an 80% with a mortgage and a HELOC, yes, you're going to start at 80%, but over time, again, this will bring you to the 65%. So this rule applies for new uh, advanceable mortgages that are being set up as we speak. If you have received this letter from your bank and you would like to explore new options to continue to Access Capital, reach out to my team at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Reach out to Streetwise Mortgages. And on that note, let's bring in Ashley and Spencer. Ashley, Spencer, welcome back, guys. How are you? We're doing awesome. How are you doing? Good, good. I miss you guys. It's been a little bit of time since we've, we've last hung out and had a dinner or had you come up to the cottage. It's been way too long. I know. can't believe summer's like... Almost over too. It flew by. I know. Don't say that. That's like a bad what? word in my vocabulary. <laughs> Sorry. Long, long, hot fall. That's, that's oh, it. oh man. So okay. So you've been on before. You know, you guys are. I think when we think of short-term rentals, you know, luxury kind of 
cottage or winery area rentals that we think of, of you, but you are investors. Let's just dive into, you know, your business model a little bit and, and who you guys are. Sure. So we're Spencer and Ashley. Gone into the space predominantly in the short-term rental area with Spencer back in 2018. Kind of replicated a burr into short-term rental a few other times. Really loved it. Loved the cash flow. Loved the hospitality portion because we're big travelers. Dabble in a bit of the long-term rentals. So we had two apartment buildings out east, one which we sold for a profit after renovating last year. And then now predominantly have short-term rentals through JV agreements, and then also founded our management company, Travelux Inc., where we manage luxury short-term rentals or vacation rentals for our clients. And we've up, we're up to about 55 to 60 listings across Canada now. Amazing. And I think you have some in Ellicottville, New York too, don't do you? Yeah, we purchased two back in 2021 in Ellicottville. So yeah, we're doing a fun little renovation on the one turning, turning a garage into a pretty neat games room so it looks amazing well, that'll be launched and featured soon so to stay tuned on the instagram channels for when that goes live cool so obviously the economy has changed interest rates have risen very dramatically in a very short amount of time short-term rental bylaws are coming into play in many municipalities what are you guys experiencing what are you seeing right now with your portfolios Really good question. So in terms of the municipalities cracking down on it, we're seeing the majority of them actually moving to a licensing program, which is great because that means a few things, right? It means that you'll be able to actually do it legally. And from a, a management perspective, it forces people to run it properly, right? There's the whole stigma around Airbnbs being bad parties. And, you know, you don't, unfortunately, the horror stores are the only thing that makes the news right? Mm -hmm. You don't hear a lot of great families had a good time. You don't see that in the news articles. So unfortunately, there's a bad rap about it. With municipalities going towards this licensing program, it's almost like a demerit point system. So it forces you to make sure that, you know, noise is kept to a very respectable level, garbage is handled appropriately, and just that it's taken care of and that you're respecting the neighborhood. So we are really happy to see that most municipalities are going that route. There's obviously a few here in the Niagara region that are on the fence. Um, some of them just completely don't allow it. But from an investment strategy, we personally and we would obviously recommend to take a look into that and really invest in municipalities that allow it. And we're also seeing the municipalities that don't allow it who were previously more in the gray, kind of like you're not really allowed, but nothing's really happening, are starting to really crack down. Mm. So our language to our clients is only purchase in areas that have a license in place. When you know, and it's all laid out and you know, you can get this license and exactly how you need to operate. Awesome. I actually have a few questions for you guys. I've seen some of your work online. It looks amazing. Some of the properties that you manage. I actually have a new Airbnb myself. It's just like really small, like it's a studio loft essentially. So it's not very luxury. Careful how you talk about it. It's my property too. Okay, sorry. <laughs> we, we built, I, I, go ahead, go ahead. I'm just joking. So, so, okay. So I guess, yeah. So I'm in Hamilton part-time. I do a lot of realtor work there. So I do actually stay there kind of like half of the month. And then the other half of the month, I Airbnb it out. It's one of Sarah's properties. But, you know, I think I try my best to, you know, make it kind of attractive in the sense that like fun and it's right off of James Street. It's close to James Street North. There's like cafes, entertainment, bars. Do you guys have any like tips and trips, tricks on how to kind of really spice it up and make it attractive, not to like people who are going to party, but young professionals, you know, people looking to come for a few days, enjoy the bars. And there's also the Bayfront community as well. Yeah, I was just wondering if you guys had any tips for myself. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you kind of nailed it on the head there when you said you're looking to attract a specific person. I feel like most hosts just throw a listing up and they don't actually plan like, who they're trying to attract. So we call it our like guest avatar. When we are specifically putting a property online for short-term purposes, the first thing we do is decide, okay, who are we getting, right? You have to look at so many different factors, but proximity to local attractions is a huge one and very popular. You just mentioned your property, for example, is close to a lot of great things. So looking at, you know, okay, young professionals coming to this area, what's the age? What kind of amenities are they looking for? 
And obviously, what kind of things can we highlight in this listing where it stands out and it's quite obvious that you're close to, you know, X, Y, and Z, you're close to these restaurants, these attractions, these things, it's not buried in your listing, you know, essentially looking at like your top five things that are going to pull that avatar in, I would say starting with that is like the most obvious and, and number one thing for sure. Secondly, it would obviously be pricing, but we can dive into that because there's a, that's, a whole, for hours. that's <laughs> a whole different piece. <laughs> But you know what? Let's actually talk about it because I, I think with everything that's happened, the pricing that like even when I look at some of my cottage rentals, I mean, throughout the pandemic, we were getting insane numbers. And like, you know, now we're back at like 2018, 2019 numbers. Potentially, I think people are tightening up on their budget. But, you know, what is the pricing strategy of today? Like, how are you guys pricing your properties? How often are you looking at that? Like, what is, you know, what is maybe two or three key tips or what are they? for investors wanting to, to price their units properly and get bookings that way? Yeah, so I, I mean, there, there are a lot more listings live right now. The good news is I would say less than 10% are actually following a dynamic pricing strategy. So we highly recommend dynamic pricing. What that is, you're not just setting a flat price during weekdays and weekends. You know, a lot of listings we see will be like a flat rate throughout the entire year. So the other thing I would highly suggest is actually spending some time and diving into the properties around you. Finding, if you can, 10 to 20 properties that are very similar in terms of proximity, location, amenities, and kind of setting that list aside and taking a peek at it. It doesn't have to be every day, but taking a peek at it frequently to see, hey, how are they pricing? What's their weekday rate for this month? What's their weekend rate? Do they have any long-term stay discounts? So that you have three-day, a four-day, a five-day. Um, all of those things, if they're yeses, I would suggest trying to, to mimic that. But most of the time, they're not really going to have anything. And that can be an example of something where you can separate yourself and just be a little bit more competitive. I would highly recommend using a dynamic pricing software like Wheelhouse and Price Labs are two really good ones. I've dabbled in both. I'm starting to lean more towards Price Labs. I use Wheelhouse for about two and a half years. I'm starting to switch to Price Labs now just because I find the data and the access to data is a lot more accurate. And just using that as a shortcut tool to be able to pull that competitive set over and taking a look at, hey, all these properties around my area, they offer this, they offer similar things or they make around the same amount of money. How, what can I do to add to the property or how can I price the property to be more competitive so that way when people are searching in that area, you know, your property is going to stand out. Whether it's a pricing discount, maybe it's the photos, maybe it's something that an amenity that you add that others don't have. What can I do to, to help stand out in that regards? So how does Price Labs work? Like, is it a fixed price, monthly price per how many units you have? Like, walk us through that. Yeah, so it, it is a monthly subscription. You can cancel it at any time. Obviously, the more properties you have, it's a sliding scale discount. I believe they start you off at like $15.99 USD per month. So you're looking around 20 dollars Canadian. So essentially what that does is you plug your property in, you can sync it directly with Airbnb. If you're using other channel managers, like Hostfully, Hospitable, those are some popular ones. It'll sync in directly with that as well. And then essentially from there, it pulls everything. It pulls the address, it pulls the number of beds, the baths. It does a whole deep dive into the amenities that you have. So that's why it's super important to make sure that your amenities list is correct. Uh, and then based on that, it will pull the competitive set in that area with similar amenities and will spit out fairly accurate recommended base price. That doesn't mean it's going to price that every single day. It's going to start with that base price and then obviously adjust based on supply and demand. So essentially, if there's a weekend where there's a lot of bookings coming in, like, for example, April 8th of 2024 is a very popular day yeah. because of that <laughs> the total solar eclipse, I believe. Oh. So if you've gone out of these dynamic pricing softwares, it's going to really shoot that price up and it will do things for that specific, you know, for that specific example. Concerts is a really popular one. You said you have a place in Hamilton. If you're close to you know, those types of venues, it will be able to pull in that type of data. And again, it will adjust your pricing up and down based on that. As much as you want to hope it's a set and forget, it's not always 100% accurate. So it's something that you definitely want to keep an eye on if you think that the pricing is a little bit too low and you're getting booked out way too fast, you might have to go in and manually adjust. But what's nice about that is it's going to do that daily change on your listing, which is a huge factor from uh, an SEO boost, if you want to call it that, to Airbnb, because 
they see it as your responsible host. You're trying to price it to be competitive. So they give you a little bit of a, a ranking in terms of that. But there's also cool things you can do with it as well. Like you can do like the gap nights where you can fill like gaps in your calendar because it'll automatically see that there's a couple nights that in say a week that aren't booked. So it'll automatically kind of drop the price a little bit. Or you can do something where if someone books for a couple nights, it'll drop the price of the third night, which kind of like entices them to book that extra night, which is pretty interesting. And and then the minimum stay settings is actually yeah. pretty cool. It will pull in all the data from your competitors, if you want to call it that, and it will spit out a recommended minimum stay strategy. You don't have to follow it, but at least you kind of know what's out there. Instead of going on Airbnb and clicking on each and every little listing, it will just pull it for you. You'll be able to see, hey, the majority of people here are three nights. The majority of people here are two nights. Maybe they recommend one night during the week and two nights on the weekend. Uh, so you can kind of see what they suggest based on data and, and react accordingly. But where, again, I see a lot of people missing out on opportunities, unless it's a legitimate logistical concern, is they might have a too high of a minimum night stay. You know, sometimes you have to have that due to cleaning and you just don't have the mm. team to get it. But if you do have the ability to come down and be more competitive, we've seen that make a huge difference for a lot of clients in the past just by making that one little change. Or even if you don't typically allow one night stays, the program, you can tell it to, if there's like a one night stay block, you can up that price by like three or 400%. So at least if you're going to have a one night stay, probably never on the weekend, but during the week, mm -hmm. it will be three or four times what the base price is. So it makes it well worth the house. Okay. So if you're staying within like a good price range, like you're a little bit maybe above like base of what you're kind of hoping to take home throughout the month with this program, is there like a, a percentage that like it helps like a basic percentage that it actually helps increase monthly, like overall, or I don't like, because I mean, obviously, if you lower your prices, like you can get a ton of bookings, right? So let's say you're taking into consideration your take home, and then, you know, you're using this program, is there like, does it increase your bookings in a good way by a percentage? Or I don't know, what's your kind of opinion on yeah, that. Yeah, it really depends on your strategy. I mean, some people just want 100% occupancy. We're more on the profit maximization. So our, where I think it really separates itself out is in your high season. So a lot of people will leave a ton of money on the table during the, the easiest months to book, right? Like if you have a $500 a night price throughout 365 days of the year, which you see a lot of that, cottage country and so on and so forth, of course, your Julys, August and September's are going to book up at that price, probably quite quickly and close to 100%. But what this pricing software will do, we'll look at all of your competition, look at the demand and say, hey, wait a minute, 500 is way too low. You can get 800, 900 or you know, 1,000 plus. And I feel like that's where it really makes the difference. Slow season, obviously, it's kind of nice to have because again, you want to be booked out far in advance. So if you're not someone that wants to spend hours and looking at other competitors and what they're pricing six months out, because most people don't look at that so that pricing won't be accurate anyways. It's kind of nice to have in terms of maybe attracting that longer stay booking, that week stay, that month stay, you know, maybe more of a medium term thing for your slow season. But I'd say where it pulls its weight is definitely high season and getting that profit maximization and making those you know, extra couple thousand dollars each and every month. And I think you can, correct me if I'm wrong, so Spencer's are like pricing guru. That's like his main thing. I can tell Spencer, <laughs> you're like on the ball. You're like, it's, you know what, great insights. And this is like, I think, you know, everyone that's probably listening to this is like, okay, I need, I need price labs or something along those lines. Because you probably save them hours and hours and hours of doing the research for probably not a whole lot per month. And it's nice that like, you know, it's not like you're sponsoring them or anything like per where like you've got a kickback, like you truly are using this for yourself and it's worked well for your rentals. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. This week's podcast is brought to you by uspproperties.ca. Are you looking to invest in turnkey U.S. real estate that provides exceptional cash flow and appreciation? If so, reach out to James at james at uspproperties.ca or visit the company website uspproperties.ca for more information. And now back to the show. And you can, I think you can set a minimum amount. Yeah. So instead of it going all the way down to get you to 100% occupancy, if you're thinking, I don't want to rent this out for less than $300 a night, and if it wants to go below that, I would rather it stay unbooked. 
that rented out for less than say $300 a night. And you can tell it that, and it will never go lower than that amount. And really the only time you're going to see that ballroom amount is probably in your slower season. But at that point, typically our pricing strategy is more the midterm strategy, especially from January through to April. It's probably the four slowest months of the entire year. Um, November is pretty slow, but uh, December kind of creeps up a bit. So it's kind of hard to want to have like a, a monthly rental in at, at that month. But you can, once you learn exactly how to use the system, you can tailor it to how you want. And I think what's also really interesting is knowing the lead time that guests will book. And I believe you get that from the system. Yeah. So you can kind of see for each month how far out on average people are booking. Yeah. It'll actually, Priceline, this is what I like about it. It'll actually highlight your seven day, 30 day and 60 day. And it'll kind of, it'll be red if you're way under market. It'll be green if you're right at market and blue if you're doing better than the market. Instead of you having to go in and see your calendar, it will literally raise a flag for you. If it's red, then maybe you should go in and make some adjustments, right? If it's blue, you know, you're good, but maybe your pricing is a little bit too low because they base that on occupancy. So knowing, let's say, hey, in September, people are booking 60 days out or in cottage country, maybe it's something where, or even ski towns are really popular for this. People plan much more in advance. So 120 days plus knowing that, hey, if I'm not booked within that range, within a few weeks, doesn't have to be right on the money. Maybe I should go in and take a look at pricing. Maybe it's too high. On the contrary, if your lead time's only 30 days and you are booking out 180 days in advance and fast, that's another huge red flag to say, hey, I'm way underpriced. I'm leaving money on the table. Get in there quickly and make adjustments because people are more last minute. Like here in Niagara, people are 30 to 60 days, you know, even to the point a week or two, depending on the weather. So we don't really exhaust our price at all in the summer. We usually hold firm and you'd be surprised people will book a few days out in advance. That actually happened actually for September long weekend. I think like the week before about like almost 50% of the properties we either own or manage didn't have a booking. And even I was like, hey, want to look at that? And Spencer, you are very concrete. You're like, no, I got this. And every single property had a booking by that following long weekend. It still makes you nervous as hell. But yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's going to happen. So do you know if that's changed since like the last year or the year? I mean, obviously the pandemic was strange, but do you think now people, are they maybe waiting longer than usual to, to book? Cause you know, maybe they're hoping that prices go down or they're just being a little bit more like cautious with their money. Like what, what are you guys seeing from like, you know, that standpoint? Yeah. I, I don't have the exact data on this, but just from overall portfolio over 55 properties, what I've seen is that has definitely been the case. I think because of the amount of inventory that, that is in the market, people are waiting last minute to see if the prices are coming down because I actually did a, a slight A-B test on that. I had a few properties where I would lower prices and a few properties that I'd hold firm and the, those lower ones would almost book up the day I lowered it. Mm. So it's almost like people are wish, wish listing yeah. these companies, waiting to see, okay, it's not booked for this weekend. They might have four or five lined up. And basically saying, okay, we're going to check every day and see if the price moves. And if they see it move, then they might either hold out or book it. Or if it booked for whatever reason, they'll just go to the next one. So yeah, definitely seen that, seen that pattern this year for sure. But also because of the weather. And maybe you're seeing it too in cottage country. Like no one wants to go away for, to a cottage and it rained the whole time, right? Yeah. And we've had such a rainy off and on type of summer that we're seeing a lot of last minute almost like okay these dates look like they're going to be nice and dry like same in niagara everyone wants to come down and bike around no one wants yeah. to stay around the rain um so then we're seeing last minute bookings and we're seeing a ton of weekday bookings now i think people since covid are just so much more flexible that we're seeing like monday to wednesday bookings which are typically our lowest nightly rates like crazy, almost booking up before weekends. And even like Thursday to Saturday or Saturday to Monday. Mm -hmm. So again, this is where you want to get creative with your pricing strategy, because obviously your Friday, Saturday, most people are going to have those at the highest rate. It's going to be higher than your Sundays and Thursdays. People are seeing that on the calendar. And if you're like 50% less on Sunday or Thursday night, you're more than likely, and we've seen a lot, we'll get that Thursday to Sun, Thursday to Saturday or Saturday to Monday and miss out on that extra really good night. So that's where you want to get creative and maybe adding that extra three-day discount, maybe have a 10 or 15, 20% discount for three days. So it entices them to book that other night or raise your prices on the Thursday to Sunday. So look, just seeing that, like taking mm -hmm. a look at, okay, this 
A lot of people are booking Thursdays to Saturdays. Maybe we need to raise the Thursday prices, force people to book the weekend. That's another thing that we've had to adjust and do a lot of this year specifically. Hmm, that's very interesting. I, I want to go back to, you mentioned amenities, and I'm a big believer of that as well. And I can compare some of my cottages. Like one has a hot tub. One doesn't have a hot tub. One has a games room. One doesn't have a games room. Like it actually makes a huge difference. And I find even more so in the off season. Let's talk about amenities. What you're seeing works well, you know, in this year, you know, moving forward, 2023 and beyond, which properties get the highest occupancy because of that and like, you know, what people are asking for. I think here we're just going to sound like a, a broken record because we say the same things. But in our defense, if I'm looking for an Airbnb in the winter, what would I want? And right off the top of my head, and we've done this when we search, we click hot tub. Mm-hmm. We don't want to go somewhere without one. So hot tub is going to be your number one amenity for the winter. Yeah. And, and again, that's because we're in the Niagara region, wine country, right? Our mm-hmm. avatar is that person coming down. That'll be completely different for someone saying Hamilton that is coming down for work, right? Obviously the hot tub is a bonus. Don't get me wrong. You throw that in, it will always make more money than not mm-hmm. having it. It will pay for itself. But I mean, you have to look at who your avatar is. And if it's more of a high-end client that's paying a lot more money, you need to have some of those luxurious amenities and some winter amenities to bring people in during slow season. Wi-Fi would be a really good one. I, I know it sounds like obvious, but you'd be surprised how many people just kind of get like, oh, this should be fast enough speed. Again, I'm not a huge Wi-Fi person, so I, I couldn't tell you what number that is, but there are people that will just get the mid-range package and have issues. I would always just get it as fast as you possibly could spend the extra 40 50 bucks make sure it's solid and yeah the other thing is too a lot of people this is a really good pro tip not just stating in your listing description what your wi-fi speed is if you go into amenities and you scroll down to wi-fi there'll be a little hyperlink that will say add details and once you click on that it will actually run a test so you need to be in the home you need to be connected to the wi-fi but that alone is like such a big ranking boost for your property because Airbnb is not just going to take your word for it, whether your listing has, you know, one gigabyte per second, uh, they want to see that you actually do. So when you run that test, it, and it is one gigabyte per second, it says super fast. You'll see a badge actually show up saying super fast white Wi-Fi, great for remote work. Mm -hmm. That is a huge bonus, especially if you're having like a place where you're getting a lot of people for work. So doing that one, I feel a lot of people sleep on it, but it's like, very easy thing to do. Super obvious, but super powerful. And people like it's one of our top three questions, I guess, asked before booking is can your Wi-Fi support multiple people working from home being on video calls? So that's something you should know. And like he said, put up on your listing because it's huge. Yeah. And then just going down the overarching list of amenities, go into your profile, open it up, take a look at what you have and what you don't have. Obviously, having as much as the kitchen items as you possibly can. If it's under, for our rule, if it's under a hundred bucks, just get it. Uh, it, The more you have, the more complete your listing looks. And they're going to see that as like, okay, they're really responsible hosts. They have everything. Let's put that in. I would for sure make sure your kitchen stock and not just one of everything. I'm talking like three wine openers, three pizza cutters, multiple higher, better, good quality cutlery, knife set. You know, think about it. If you were to cook at home, what would you want? You'd want something of quality. You wouldn't want like one or two salad bowls, one spatula, a knife that's been there for a year and a half and is dull, right? You want to make sure that you have the kitchen absolutely stocked. I would say start there, you know, of course, in terms of like internal values. And that is consistent across all types of properties, not just higher end ones. Obviously the higher end ones, you want to go outside and make sure you have a really killer outdoor setting and so on and so forth. But I feel like kitchen is one of the comments we get the most from a lot of guests that have stayed of like how well stocked our kitchens are. So yeah. And the second would be family items. <laughs> we get complimented on the amount of family items we have in the house and it's so cheap, like from Amazon or Walmart. So that would be like foldable high chairs, a playpen. This is stuff that parents don't want to bring, but they need for yeah. their kid. So they know, okay, I know this place has all these things and they don't need to buy it. Baby baths, little books and games for little kids. Like we go to like Value Village and we get like games and books and stuff and like 
it's not expensive and it's so there's so many items you can check off on Airbnb. And again, there's real no real proof of what Airbnb is doing. But when we see clients add these amenities and us including, we somehow just magically seem to get a lot more families. So I'm going to take a guess saying that they're tracking not only you as a house, but guests as well. And if you're adding infants to that guest list and staying at property that had certain amenities, I'm going to guess that they're probably going to advertise your place over your next door neighbors if you have those things versus them not having those things. But everything else is the same. So again, that's like just an assumption, just that we've noticed, but I wouldn't be surprised if Airbnb is doing something like that on the back end. Those are all like really helpful tips. If I wanted to fit a large hot tub in my studio loft, okay, without Sarah's permission, how much more could I charge on my Airbnb with like, an, like that specific amenity? Or if you have a few other examples, Like how much does that, can you kind of crank up your costs? That will vary based on the amount of people you can sleep. I can give you an example of what we've seen just so we can go off data, but we have a lot of four to five bedroom properties that sleep anywhere from eight to 12. And the $13,000 investment that we would add to that property, like if we're just comparing the previous year versus the next year, we've seen about a 150% return on that specific investment. So meaning like we're getting an extra 15 to $20,000 additional income um, versus the previous year. And that is slowly, solely made up in slow season, right? For like, for example, sauna is another really good one. We put a sauna in our one property that we've had probably the longest in our portfolio, probably just under five years now. For two years, we didn't have one, we added it. And then I remember two previous Januaries were around like $4,000 and we added the sauna and it was like eight and nine. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then each month followed that to about a hundred to 120, 30% difference. Um, high season, not as much because hot tubs in 35 degree weather, people still use them, but not as desirable. But then again, it comes down to how many guests and heads to beds, because obviously there's that sliding scale. And if you're only sleeping two people, there is still a willingness to pay versus over eight to 12 guests. You're, you're sharing that cost across much more people. So, I mean, I, it, it, you'd have to look at if it's how many people does your studio sleep? I'm just oh, a hot tub would never fit in yeah, that okay. space. I was just going to say, I'm like, well, that's out of the question. But it, just in regards to amenities, right? Like, I guess you can play around with pricing and you're right, all like a sauna, hot tub, these are all investments. And I'm just wondering, yeah, I mean, if it's 150% return investment, I mean, that's great, right? Yeah. And one thing you can do, and again, this is another Christ Labs plug, I guess, is you can actually filter properties with hot tubs and you can filter the amount of bedrooms and how many guests that sleep. So if you have a property that's eight guests, three bedrooms, you can filter it to two to four bedrooms, eight guests and click hot tub. And that will pull that entire competitive set. And you can go in and take a look. Hey, what are they charging? Then you can compare that to your current prices. You might have to do some filtering of bad data. I don't know if you want to get into that and how to do that, but you know there are a lot of things to make sure that it's accurate versus not. But then from there, you can kind of get an idea before purchasing the hot tub saying, hey, is it going to be worth it for me? And obviously, if these properties have everything that you have, they're making $20,000 more a year, only difference is the hot tub, then it's a no-brainer. But obviously, if it's a smaller space, there isn't really a lot of data, you know, again, would you stand out over the other two bedrooms and four bedrooms beside you? Absolutely. It will make you more money. It's just trying to get an idea if how many years and months is it going to take to pay this investment back and whether you're comfortable with that. But I think doing that exercise, regardless if you're looking at just a hot tub in general, is really good. Like looking at other similar properties that are like yours, like small, maybe sleep two to four people, have a similar type of space and just seeing what they have that you don't and then on the contrary like what they have that you can have or what they don't have that you can have so it may not be a hot tub because you don't have a space but can you add in like a fire table can you add like a little fire pit with you know the 50 dollars string lights which i swear is like the biggest return on investment ever so it's like 50 dollars, but it just brings it in right 
note. I'm making notes. Yeah. <laughs> love Costco. Yeah. And just seeing like it could be just creating more of an experience. Can you do like a little feature wall that it just brings people's attention to your listing over the other? So it might not necessarily be I have to go get a hot tub or I have to go get a sauna when it doesn't fit in your property. But can I create some other type of experience that maybe my competitors do not have? And that gives me a competitive edge over them. Speaking of experiences. So, you know, when I look at Airbnbs, for example, like, you know, I think for our 40th birthday, a couple of us are going to Costa Rica. One of the things I like that they offer are services like chef services. For those that know, I do not like to cook. I don't want to cook. I don't want to, I just want to eat and I want to eat amazing food massages, potentially like like spa services brought to you, whether it's like dry cleaning, mid-week cleaning or whatever that looks like. What are your thoughts on services? And I know it's probably dependent on where you are and what you're doing and what your competition is, but could that be a competitive advantage potentially in the Ontario market? If yeah. you can make that work, it absolutely would be. There's probably less than 0.05% of properties that even offer that service. It's probably less than that, to be honest. I yet to see one that comes up, mind you, I haven't gone looking for it, that offers those types of, of services. We've seen some like catering, but that's mm -hmm. something where you have to plan out in advance. And, you know, there's some organization. It's not like, you know, a butler service where you get it regardless of if you book two weeks out or a year out. Um, but that would definitely be something that if you have the ability to make it work, definitely help you stand out we utilize this a little bit in our guidebooks mm -hmm. when people book they automatically get linked to like recommendations in the area and their personal recommendations and in those has some partnerships that we have with a few services down here in niagara which includes like say proud chef etc i think the only thing we we don't have is us being the middleman to book it's more like here's our recommendation here's why yeah. but it's up to you to reach out and book them if you want we're just giving people the all the services that they could potentially look instead of them having to like Google it. But I think that's a really cool idea. I mean, like it, it, it's quite interesting. Like I have a chef. I mean, I have a few chefs. I know it sounds horrible, but it's, you know, sometimes you just need to alternate your chefs <laughs> because it gets, you know, I'm not listening. <laughs> look, at the end of the day, you can't do the same thing over and over and over. But I found a chef that does food for many people, but he does delivery and it's like really good food. And he'll deliver on a Sunday as an example. So he'll send me like the items. Here's what I'm making this week. And then how many of like the dinners or lunches do you want? And so we order that. And it's like 12 to $14 maybe like a meal, which I actually think if I look at the cost of like going to the grocery store, the time to make food, like that may be better that like, is it potentially worth adding something like that at 12, 14, 16, whatever that price is into your nightly amount and say, you know, five meals, like one meal per day included or something like that? Or is there a potential liability to it? And I'm sure there is some along the way as well. But, you know, what could that look like? And that, could that be a huge competitive advantage? Because sometimes I'm like, oh, this person has breakfast. Like breakfast is listed in there. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Like, I wonder what it is. But if it's just like bread and like an apple, like it's not great either, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's what they qualify like literally granola bars you can check off breakfast so make sure you ask if you are searching for that what is provided you, you mentioned that so that's a good idea what is this <laughs> i think it'd be a really cool service to add in there oh there's liability to everyone because mm -hmm. because you can have people be like you have x in there and i'm allergic to yeah right whatever or thanks for the meat dish but i'm a vegan or whatever and then instantly people will be like, well, I paid for this. So you have to rectify it because it's part of the nightly rate. I don't think a lot, not as many guests um, will see the benefit, I think, unless you ask them ahead of time, hey, we mm -hmm. um, include uh, one meal a day in your thing. Like, are there any dietary restrictions we should know about? Then I think you're kind of clear. Yeah, and having it like catered. So essentially you're getting them in touch with the person that's right. doing it. And they kind of go over the details saying like, hey, yeah. That's you know, it. what type of food are you guys into? Do you want something That's locally inspired, right? And then obviously any allergies and just kind of have them go back and forth. And you can always add it as an additional service. So again, you can have your nightly rate, just your nightly rate, and then offer those services, with, you know, whether you want to mark it up or not as an additional price. You can always request those funds in advance 
based on how many people and however you want to work that out and then get them in contact with the cater, which I would think from a system standpoint would probably be the best because then you're just, they're the third party, they're dealing with it. Obviously, the thing is, the more experiences you add, the more things can go wrong. So you need to have systems in place for everything because at the end of the day, that review is extremely important. And obviously having those additional services are fantastic. But if they do go south and people get these really high expectations, yep. then, you know, that can be problematic if you don't knock it out of a park. Yeah, absolutely. Great points. And I do like your idea of potentially just like even making it like you get this amount for free, but you can contact the person yourself and then it's out of your hands. I do like that. Or you charge us like it's pretty easy, right? If you're on platform to just request additional funds and they accept it as an example. So that's pretty cool. Okay, I want to talk about your new services. You've got some new things coming up, some really exciting things. And you tested one of my Airbnbs with it. And it was very cool to see the before and after. What is it that you're now doing? So we're helping a lot of hosts, basically just making sure that they're doing everything they possibly can with their listing to attract more bookings, essentially make more money. There's so many different factors that's involved from the photos to the copywriting. So how the listing description, the title looks. To the back end stuff, is the listing fully filled out? Are all the amenities checked off or X'd off? Are there any amenities that can be added that we consider low hanging fruit that is going to give them that search boost and help them perform better? You know, basically, the big one that a lot of people miss is guest safety. And that's a really big one for platforms like Airbnb and just making sure that they're going in and, and checking and updating these things because. Every month they're adding a new amenity or a new something where you have to fill out and just constantly making sure that it's filled out and it's a complete listing. And then with that, we offer pricing strategies based on, you know, the area, what we would recommend and the tools that we mentioned earlier on in this, in this chat and how to use them and kind of why it's super important. At the end of the day, it's kind of the whole package of, okay, we would take your listing, take a look at you know, what things are going right, what areas we can improve on and what any host can do and change to their listing to make sure that it's fully optimized and it's attracting eyes and and booking more. And basically the goal would be like, if your listing and a different listing of your competitors is equal, that guests will want to book yours strictly based off of the Airbnb profile. Yeah. Front end, like to the guest, you're creating that emotion, right? When you're searching for that Airbnb, you're drawn to that listing versus your competitors. Then obviously there's things on the back end that helps boost your listing. So it's being searched over your competitors, which essentially the guests would never see. But when you do have that potential guest on your page, they're becoming emotionally invested into that property. And even though you might be priced more than your competitors, for some reason, they still want to stay there. Even though you have everything that the other place does, you still want to stay there. I, I don't know if you guys gone through that, but when we've stayed at certain Airbnbs, there's just certain photos and certain settings that they created where we're like, you've already put yourself in that cabana or that hammock and you're reading a book or you're having your morning coffee or your glass of wine by the fire and, uh, and you're just sold on it. And that's the whole point of making, you know, creating that level of emotion when you're on the listing from a front end perspective. And I think we all know that having an average Airbnb slash Airbnb listing just isn't going to cut it anymore. Like you really do have to stand out. And that's what our services help do. Like, I think a lot of listings that we see leave a lot of questions. Like once we read them and look at them, like I would still have questions and I'd be inclined more so to inquire and ask these questions to the host. Whereas we want people to read your listing, look at the photos and be like, I know everything that I need to know in order to make this a confirmed booking right off the hook. Would you say, because you guys mentioned the kitchen is a big one. You get a lot of feedback on like how fully stocked it is, how many items it has, et cetera, based off of, you know, how big the property is. What's the second space you get the most amount of feedback on? And what are some like main, what are some points you can give, you know, myself, for example, on again, how to just make it a little bit more attractive to, and just maybe some basic points. I know you have a range of properties. Yeah. I mean, and, and just to tie it back into your services, like if you see that, like, you know, I don't know, the kitchen is not ideal or something like that, but like, let's tie it back into this service that you have as well. Yeah. So again, I, I think what we typically do with our clients is we start with their guest avatar. Who are they trying to attract? Right. A lot of them don't have one. So we'll work with them on, okay, 
what's the area like? What brings people in? You know, is it like a tourism destination or is this a lot of people coming through for work? And then from there, obviously, you know, not everyone has an unlimited budget. So try to work backwards on, okay, what are some of the key things that we can knock out of the park? So kitchen being one of them, obviously here in Niagara on the higher end homes and outdoor space is like absolutely critical. Ideally a covered outdoor space. So whether you have a large gazebo or something where they can sit outside rain or shine, because the photos likely, the cover photo is likely going to be that fire table, hot tub, outdoor setting. And obviously if they spend $2,000 a night and come there and it's raining, they can't be outside. That's unfortunately nothing you could do, but that will inevitably likely lead to a bad review. Um, and if it's something more smaller, think about where are people spending the most time? It's going to be living rooms. It's going to be the bed. So making sure that you have a very comfortable living space that can seat everyone that you can list to comfortably. And obviously make sure that you have very comfortable sleeping arrangements. So mattresses, linens, things like that. Again, decor will help sell it, but just having it from a review standpoint, making sure that those things are super comfortable and there's a lot of really good affordable mattresses and linens out there that are like really popular with Airbnb hosts. Having those in the property would probably be the next place I look in general. And I also find too that even if someone has, say, like a stellar outdoor space, they tend to put like their top five photos all of the same outdoor space, which we wouldn't recommend. Like typically as someone's looking through, they're probably clicking the first five photos like as you search on Airbnb. So yes, you want your first one or two photos to be like the best ones you have outlining exactly what you need. But people also want to see, okay, their outdoor space is great, but what's the inside look like? So it's almost like a visual tour of if the next best photograph space you have is your kitchen, then that's in your top five. If one of them is the bedroom because it looks aesthetically pleasing and comfortable, then that should be in your top five. Just because you have a hot tub and like a fire pit, I wouldn't put every single top five photo in your Airbnb listing. And then you can put it like the rest of the photos could be in such a way where you're almost walking through the space so they can see it. We also love putting like a floor plan in there as well because people are always asking, oh, is that bathroom on the second floor or the first floor? Or how does this flow? Or is there a bedroom on the main floor? Like it's nice to be able to see that. Yeah, your photos are by far, you know, now I think of it, your number one most yeah. important amenity. Adding a hot tub is great, but if you could spend $2,000 on really good photos. And that's really expensive for a market. But just to put that in perspective, if they are done properly, that will yield you the highest investment than any amenity you could possibly add to it. Again, that's if things are staged, if the quality of the photos are good, if the shot creates that you know, emotion, essentially, these are you know experiential shots, right? They're not just your typical real estate shots where things aren't staged. It looks like, you know, yeah. A lot of them, unfortunately, just look like it's being listed on you know, the MLS versus what we try to capture is the emotion. We want that person sitting in that chair having the coffee as they're going through this. And when they're going through the listing, it's like a virtual tour that just keeps them wanting to scroll and you know, show me more, right? Versus, okay, we get it. There's 10 of the same photos of the hot tub. I, I get you, you have a hot tub. Oh, there's 50 photos of the bedrooms. Okay, I, I get that there's bedrooms. Right. Having that typically the order we go is your top five, try to summarize all your biggest selling points of the property. Then we like to go living rooms, kitchens, bedrooms, bury the bathroom. They're not that important unless you have like this amazing bathroom. And then the rest of your outdoor photos, if you do have an outdoor space, simply just like to bundle it, keep it flowing nice and easy. And from an emotional perspective, people can follow along much easier. We found that's worked pretty good in the past. And also photo descriptions. It is amazing how people will like stop at the first five photos of descript photo descriptions. And then there's no more photo descriptions. Like explain to people what they're looking at. That's like one of the big yeah. things to do with our services as we add photo descriptions to every single photo. And, and they're good descriptions too. You guys did it for me. And the descriptions are actually very like, it's like, I want to be there again. <laughs> I own it. But like, no, it's good. Because you know what? I, my descriptions were like basic, but you guys like really did a good job with, you know, creating a feeling with it. Yeah. And there are things that photos just to the eye won't show of the space. So like, you know, again, we like to tell our photographers, if you have Netflix, or if you have a smart TV, Photoshop in the Netflix logo in there, because like psychologically people mm -hmm. are going to say, oh, it's a smart TV. I can just log into my Netflix and we can watch TV there. Mm -hmm. um, having that in the description, if you don't, if you don't have that Photoshop is also good because again, it's explaining 
the benefits of being in that space, right? Like mm -hmm. that the photo doesn't necessarily show. You have board games and stuff that are yeah. hidden in the photo, but just you can sort of see it, right? If it's a really cool space to, to play those board games, like maybe you mentioned that there's board games included because not everyone, you know, I'm different because I like to read everything, but not everyone's going to go into every single description and read the entire listing to see right. whether you have Netflix or board games. I find the path of the guest is they see that cover photo that draws them in. They open up, you're going to get the next top five photos. This is a desktop, right? Phone's very similar. You're going to see the title. You want to make sure that the title, it kind of highlights all of your selling features and that 50 character max limit that you have. And the next thing they're going to do is go into the photos. That photo is essentially a virtual tour and those photos are selling you. So again, if they're 10 of the same photos, it's going to be tough to keep people on versus if you're going through the photos and there's a listing description, constantly telling more information about the property, maybe how fast the Wi-Fi is, the TVs are smart and they have Netflix, maybe Netflix is included. You know, maybe it's a, an eight person hot tub, right? Mm -hmm. Again, small things like that, that people... Yes, you could look at the photo and yes, but actually saying that, you, that's usually where people go next and then they'll go to the listing description if they're looking for more information. I'd say one thought yeah. though for photos is that, yes, you want them to be experiential. So if there's like a fire pit, have the fire going, like all that, but never ever photograph something that you do not include in the property. We have seen that. Like if people take it a little bit too far and they have like cheese boards out, technically a guest could say, hey, where's my cheese board? and go to Airbnb and they will side with the guest because it's photographed in your listing. So if you're going to show, say, a bottle of wine with wine glasses by the fire, they better have a bottle of wine. Yeah, that's a good point. And then the other thing, too, is just like switching up the pictures for the seasons, right? If it's Christmas or if it's fall and you've got like a beautiful like view with the orange trees and, you know, all that stuff, I think is good, right? Especially for the fall bookings or the winter bookings that you're looking to get, not just the summer ones. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we recommend and we do it for all of our properties. We do like a, a hike, like a summer season and a winter season. And if you're in an area where fall is really beautiful, add a few of those in as well, just to, you know, again, and then move them around based on the time of the year when you're looking to attract people, right? Like obviously summer shot of the hot tub is great for the summer, but in the wintertime, again, we're just going off of our Ellicottville ski chalet properties. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a summer one, but we also have one where there's snow falling and that to me is like an experience as well. So just it's having, pretty. yeah, just having those and being able to rotate them in and out, it's a bit more work, but again, that, that'll yield you a lot more income just by doing that small thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we're close to wrapping up, but let's just finalize with the, I mean, we're not going to do, I don't think we're going to do lightning round because we've done so many, you guys have been on for many <laughs> times and it's probably going to be similar answers, but let's talk about your services. Like, are there tiers? How does, if somebody is interested, like where do they go to reach out to have you help them with their listing? And is it just Airbnb or are you on other platforms helping as well? Yeah, I mean, right right now we're solely Airbnb, not to say that you can't copy these listing descriptions and photo suggestions over. So we do have different tiers, You know, the base one being just our overall impressions and just recommendations. We don't actually go in and do any of the changes. And then we do have like a mid-range and a high range. The mid-range essentially is we go in and do mostly Everything we give you our overall impressions. We essentially go into the back end, make sure things are filled out. We do all the copywriting, the titles. We'll change the photo order around. And the big one is we'll actually make photo suggestions. I find like that's the number one thing, whether a lot of people, unfortunately, don't have professional photos. And if they are done, there's always a way to you know, spend the extra couple hundred dollars and really improve them because that'll be number one. And then like our top tier one would have pricing suggestions as well. So. And also tips to attract more five-star reviews yes. and messaging templates, all of that stuff. And the, the middle tier is uh, we just give you a report with what we think you should do, but you have to go and change it all. And our top tier is we'll actually go in and make all the changes for you. We can work with listings that are on like PMS systems, but you might have to go and do the work yourself right into that PMS system, say if you're on a channel manager like Hostfully or, or something, or else the, the Airbnb listing might revert back. For those people, we have a complimentary 15-minute call, which can be booked on our website, which is www.octbnb.ca. And we can talk about all of that. And we're very honest with what tier package, based on what the listing already looks like and what that person is looking for, that we suggest. Like, we're not just going to say, have the 
you should get the top tier package because it's the most money or anything. And if we don't think you would benefit or that listing would benefit from all that. Is it Canada wide? U.S. too. U.S. national. Okay. Okay. I mean, I guess guess it's pretty much the same concept anywhere, right? With short-term rentals and Airbnbs. I mean, obviously, with with some changes, but the the grand scheme of things is it's all pretty similar. So you guys could probably almost even do this worldwide. Yeah. And we also provide their video reports as well. So it'll literally be a screen share of myself going through the listing explaining. So if there's photos that I think could be changed or something that I would recommend, I like to try. I'm a visual person and I feel like we're talking about photos. They should be mm-hmm. seeing but just a, a written report of how to take a certain shot. So you have, we have, I think, four or five different video reports that we send out, you know, essentially a before and after, and then explaining why we made the changes in the after. And then obviously all the old stuff is saved in the report as well. So mm-hmm. your old listing descriptions, your old copywriting in case for whatever reason you want to revert back to it. So it's not like we go in and hijack the listing completely and take everything. It's so you, you have all the backups saved as well in that report. Okay. And can you just spell out OptiBNB just so people know where to search? O-P-T-I-B-N-B. So B-N-B. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Well, then we'll add that to the show notes. Spencer, Ashley, thank you guys so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure and congrats on the new services, your 55 plus properties, your management, you know, business, you know, you guys are the leaders in the short-term industry. So great job on, on everything you've built. We appreciate that. Thanks. Thanks for having us on. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larvey. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.